hope that worked. Mm. I'm too busy drinking to hear. <sighs> Hi, I'm Allison Shoemaker. <laughs> I'm Julie Starberg. And this is episode three of Podlander Drunkcast, an Outlander podcast. We will be talking about, what was it, Julie? Season two, episode three, Useful Occupations and Deceptions. Which was a, a pretty solid episode, but in a quiet way, in an expository way. Mm-hmm. There was no uh, wild, crazy pooping in public yeah. or getting your stuff waxed in public. No nipple piercings. Much quieter. But there was a diagnosing dog. And there was urine tasting. And we Fergus. Fergus. I did have a hard time with this episode, though. Uh, once again, as a reminder to listeners, I have never read these books. I have read all of them and most of the novellas. Allison's on top of this. I am not. I'm just watching the show. Uh, I'm springing this on Aaron or Janine. Say hi for everyone, Aaron. What's up? That's Aaron. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm springing this on Aaron, but I think at some point we might do little individual supplements where people who have questions about the show as it relates to the books can tweet in at us at PodlanderCast, which is our Twitter handle, by the way. Maybe we could even periscope this. Oh, we could periscope it. That's a great idea. Um, I have that app. I do. I've never used it. I am so fucking old. <laughs> I have like 54 followers, and I think I'm making up most of those. So Great, great. <laughs> nice. We sell followers for you. That's most of them, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, if you have questions about the books and how they relate to the show, like if you're a person who's read the books and you just really want to talk about the changes in season two so far, um, the characters we haven't met yet who are prominently featured in the very beginning of book two, stuff like that. Um, I think we might do a supplemental, like, little 15-minute thing every once in a while where people who haven't read the books can just skip that one. Aaron, is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because I'm never going to know that shit. I can just Well, until talk it to happens you. on the show. Right, I can just talk to you about what I've seen. Uh, I can, however, tell you that uh, in our last episode, Julie said, while we were sitting here at the table and she was looking at my face... Hey, I'm making a prediction. I think that Mary Hawkins is somehow related to Frank and is going to be somehow involved in Frank's family tree. Booyah. And because I have an overpriced and sometimes kind of useless theater degree, <laughs> I was able to keep a fairly straight face. Well, I said I'm absolutely not going to confirm or deny that Mary Hawkins has anything to do with Frank. So um, anyway, and now I we think know that she because, does. I'll tell you this. I think it's because somewhere deep inside of me, I had a root memory of Caitlin Balfour saying, Mary Hawkins. Like, I just... Catriona Balf. Thanks. I can't Balf? say her... I, look, Balf? I can't say any of these people's names. That's just the way it's going to be. I can say Duncan LaCroix. LaCroix. Well, yeah, Pamplemousse. Pamplemousse. <laughs> I, that's my life, but... He's on Pamplemousse. That's great. He's got... Now he's got like a... Like a fan name. Yeah. He's on Pamplemousse. Is it, is it Sam Hewen? Hewhan? I think it's Hewen. Hewen? Like, I don't... I, I think sorry. it's Hewen. Anyway. I'm especially sorry to bias Menzi. Menzi. <laughs> Mensa. Mensa. I, I, that's that's going to be a joke every table. week. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, getting back to it. Um, 
We'll go back and we'll start talking about this episode from the beginning because w- what this is is uh, we we in the writing about television business uh, call this a place setting episode mm-hmm. because what you're doing is setting up a bunch of stuff that's going to happen later, which I actually think they do a really great job of because there is so much going on. We get so much information, but it's still entertaining and. Again, as a person who's read the books, without spoiling anything, uh, you meet several characters in this episode that are very prominent. Plus, you get Bouton, who's <sighs> just the best. Um, Vive le Bouton! It's like they knew they were going to... So, uh, so Game of Thrones does sex position, right? Where like some naked person is standing in the background, and that's when they give you a bunch of exposition. That, like, that's how they get around the fact that they're Fucking adapting really long lazy. novels. Lazy. I'm actually all right with that for the most part, oh, unless no. unless it's somehow being... Anyway, I have complicated feelings about Game of Thrones, but... <laughs> um, this felt... I understood it was an expositional episode. Like, I felt that. I, I could see everything about it. But it did feel as if they had taken that note and tried to make it active as much as they could. And I think for the most part, they did a really good job. Like, mm-hmm. I think... Um, the fight that Claire and Jamie have, which we'll talk about because that's one of the big centerpiece scenes of the episode, I think, is really well handled. I think that they tease out the Myrta and Claire relationship in a really effective way. And then every once in a while, they're just like, nope, how about we do this one really entertaining thing? Mm-hmm. Let's just, we'll have a dog diagnose Let's some have diseases. Dog smell a guy's crotch. Yeah. That's and then awesome. we'll do that. We'll have Mary Hawkins not know what sex is. That'll mm-hmm. be great. <laughs> um, We'll go back. We'll go back to the the whorehouse, and we'll paint See, a lady's behind. Babe, faces and butts. And faces butts and, and butts. faces. Yeah, um, that'll be great. And uh, other than that, it's gonna be kind of dry because we're kind of just trying to show you these people that have to deal with the big shit that comes up soon. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and big shit that's coming up already. Yeah. Um, but most of you can see that they're laying a trail for big things that are going to happen later. Also, like the fact that that Claire has not told Jamie that uh, Black Jack is still alive mm-hmm. is obviously, and this has nothing to do with having read the books. You can tell that it's obviously going to have a huge impact on the arc of the season overall. I will also say that as well as they laid out the action of f- pushing everybody along plot wise, it was really well written in the fact that everybody leaves frustrated and that's the way that (laughs) Claire and Jamie are right now. And especially Claire. It's very clear, Claire. Yeah. I, I got, um, uh, Elisa, when you get Elisa Rosenthal, when you get to this episode, this is for you. I got a Facebook message from Elisa, my friend Elisa yesterday, who's just started watching the first season. She had watched the wedding episode and said, you can absolutely tell that this story was written by a woman and that that episode was, was written and directed by women because it's like all foreplay and it lasts a long time. So like the whole series in at least the first season, there's foreplay, 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 and then an hour of doing it. And I feel like this is actually sort of similar, except for they're not having sex and that's frustrating to the viewers too. So you have this experience of like, well, can't we just do it already? Even though you're not actually having sex. Right. 
Can't can't we just do it? And then you see that Murta is getting some. Oh know. yeah, Murta. You know what? He deserves it. Cheers. I have no problem telling you that that is not a thing that's in the books. Murta plays a smaller role in the second book, at least the first part of the second book, than he does in the show, and he is absolutely not getting it on with Suzette the Lady's Maid, at least that I know of. And I was very okay with that. I think it's a nice touch. He deserves. I, I love our little pomple moves. Murta deserves a little taste I'm just saying oh he really does and he's a good looking man you know what he is he really is mm-hmm. so I'm uh, I was all I'm team I'm gonna ship hashtag ship uh, Suzette and Murta Murzette Suta which one Murzette Murzette no I'm question. team Murzette um, I'm also team Claire explaining sex to Mary Hawkins and getting <laughs> contraceptives for her maid <laughs> So, uh, the, all right. The only thing that I noted at the top. <laughs> Going back to the beginning now. Well, no, sort of. Not really. <laughs> this, no, we should go to the beginning. We didn't start at the beginning. This links to what we were just talking about. So, obviously, Jamie is balls deep, not in Claire, <laughs> but in trying to figure out this Jacobite rebel, rebellion, trying to stop it, trying to meet with Dookie Prince Charlie. I really hate him. And um, he's tired all the time. And you can just see he's not sleeping. It's horrible. Like, the makeup in this episode is amazing because it's very subtle, but it's very on point. So Jamie's not sleeping. He's stressed out. He's obviously not there. He's obviously not boning our lady. But you know what he has done? He's become really used to having servants all around him all the time. Oh, he sure has. He takes a coat off and just throws it, and there's somebody there to get it. He takes his uh, bandolier off. There's somebody there to get it. Like, in a way that I don't think that Claire will ever be used to having servants, Jamie immediately is like, "Uh, no problem. And to me, that is uh, a really interesting thing. Like, would it be harder for a woman that wasn't born into that world to accept it? As as opposed to dudes who just expect that somebody's going to take Oh, I don't know. Because, I mean, remember, Jamie is a farmer, Right. Like, primarily, Jamie is a farmer. But he's also and then he a was laird. an outlaw. Yeah, but he's a laird of a bunch of farms. And it's tiny. Right. Like, Jenny is really the laird. You know what That's I mean? That's true. But he also went to school in France, and was when he went to school in France, were there ladies, like, cleaning up after his ass? I don't know. It just seems like he, he took dueled, to that really fast. He, all I know is he dueled for what's-her-face. Right. Um, and then he was a soldier. So he's all right with having servants. Claire. I will say Claire does throw that hissy fit about you know what? not mending her shoes. She has, she also has kind of fallen into Understandably this. upset. Not because her thing didn't get mended, but because she's having a hard time of things. She just she needs really needs to get both. Or at least to have her husband have a conversation with her about why she's not getting that D. Because right, she knows exactly. why, right? Mm-hmm. Like she knows that he's got PTSD, he's having those nightmares, and they just haven't sorted it out. It's it's an upsetting thing to watch an episode of Outlander where the problem is that Claire and Jamie aren't communicating well because that's literally been the one thing they've always done well, exactly. even before all the great boning. Also, I have a place to send you, Claire, and it is Madam What's a What's, and you can rent or buy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, no shade if you want to rent. I know it's expensive. <laughs> Do you think Claire brought some Purell back from 
1945. Oh, Lord, I hope not. God, what diseases would that create? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a way to doom the whole world. Let's all be really grateful that Claire didn't. I mean, Purell wouldn't have existed, but, yeah, let's be glad. That's great. You're right. You're absolutely like, right. Like, if, uh, if polio never happened... And then all of a sudden, because everybody had Purell, and then all of a sudden everybody stopped using Purell, and then polio just started. Like, what would that change in the United States? I, I can't even <laughs> like get in that right wormhole. now, when we're not doing vaccinations and people are suspicious of everything, Ugh, all of I a can't. sudden we would have like eight, it would, and it would be all Claire's fault. I'm gonna cry <laughs> because FDR. Uh, well, no, obviously he couldn't have been president any longer. He died. <sighs> Barack Obama, please don't leave us. I'm gonna miss you. All right, then. <laughs> all right. Um, so one of the things that stuck out to me at the very beginning is uh, they're having that conversation about um, what Jamie's going to do for the day. And it's like, I have to do this, I have to do this, and I'm not sleeping, and I have to go from here to here to here, play some chess, go to the whorehouse, you know, whorehouse, usual whorehouse, day. Whorehouse, whorehouse, uh, So I'm assuming you have tea with the ladies. Mm. And Claire says, they are not my ladies. And only, I need to go online and figure out how to pronounce her name. Catriona, Catronia. I think it's Catronia. We're just going to call her Cat. Cat is um or kate whichever uh she makes that work because you just cannot imagine that it would actually work but she totally makes it work i understand exactly how it works because in my own life there are people that i hang with and there are people that i hang with (laughs) and so there are people women who are you know my ladies but there are people who are Right. And I'm actually interested that what's-her-name is not her lady. See, what I think is interesting is that I think Louisa? she is, is Louise. Louise. So it's Louise and Mary. And I think that the Claire-Mary relationship will will probably grow, mm-hmm. um, if only because of the sex talk. Or to say nothing of the of Frank the connection. Please let Frank be a person because if Frank's not a person then I don't get to touch that dick rock and then right (laughs) it's up to Scotsman well but also then she'd be not only responsible for breaking her husband's heart but also for killing him well but then he would never exist though so would it really be killing this is where time travel becomes a problem in stories right loving it I'm like McDonald's I'm loving it so um so she goes to tea with Mary she goes and to tea, Louise. But I think she does like Louise. And I think it's her frustration has to do more with the fact that Claire, like, again, remembering this woman is a veteran, mm-hmm. right? Like a battlefield nurse. So she's not used to not doing anything. She mm-hmm. went from being, I don't know how much in season one they talked about Uncle Lamb. I think they did. She went from being on the road with her uncle, who was an archaeologist after her parents died, to being in the military and treating wounds on a battlefield. And then, uh, as soon as the war was over, she went on her little delayed Touching honeymoon with Frank and then touched a dick rock. And then being a, being a healer. <laughs> because if you remember, the very first episode ends with this monologue she has about how she's never owned a vase and she thinks she should own a vase. And then she wonders what would have happened if she had bought the vase. And it, that sounds like I'm making fun of it, but it's really a beautiful monologue. But it's all about she's never had like a calm, predictable domestic life. And now she is, except for she's not actually being domestic. What she's being is waited on and talking about silly things with women, which I loved. Hey, cheers. Talking about silly things with women. Fucking doing it right now. Exactly. And there, it's, it's where it's at. But when you're a person who's used to just being productive all the time and all of a sudden your only responsibility is to look nice and to approve the things the servants tell you are necessary. Boring. Yeah. Small talk is not a job. 
I mean, mm-hmm. unless I guess you, unless you you're podcast full time. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? No, yeah, actually, no. that would not be great because I feel like I would just run out of things to say and Julie, be lost in the void. I've known you floating. a I've known you a <laughs> long time. You would never run out of things to say. Mm. Shade? Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Truth. <laughs> truth. That's not shade. That's truth. Um, so what we have is Claire not only frustrated, frustrated in lots of ways. She's not getting the fucking tartan D. <laughs> not having a job. The walker's shortbread? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's not getting the walker's shortbread. It's bad. Okay. So she has to figure out what the fuck she's going to do for herself to not go crazy, right? So she mm-hmm. goes to tea. She has to do it. Louise let's, is there. Let's she's talk funny. for a second about this conversation with Mary Hawkins because I love it so much. So Mary Hawkins is like, what, 16 years old, 17? I don't know. I don't she's remember how old she is in the books, but she's young. She's very young. She's obviously got to marry this Frenchman with warts on his face, which is just really depressing and just... Arranged marriage. Fuck you, arranged marriage. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. But... She doesn't want to marry a Frenchman, and she seems very upset about marrying a Frenchman because everybody knows what Frenchmen do. Imagine Alice. right now that you're seeing a gesture of me putting my finger through an oh, I'm making with the my hole, other just hand. finger hole, just, just like finger can hole. Can you hear that? This is what Frenchmen do. That's the sound of my finger going. She doesn't even show that. She doesn't even (laughs) do that. But what she, the thing is, she doesn't understand what sex is at all. Which is um, pretty, I guess, probably probably pretty normal. normal. But it's really sad, especially for Louisa, who just laughs her ass off, just laughs at her. Like, men don't do that where I'm from. Where is that? The moon. The moon. (laughs) (laughs) Men don't do that in England. They don't do that where I'm from. Where is that? The moon? <laughs> the moon? <laughs> La lune? So what we've got is a 16-year-old girl who's about to be married probably to like a 65-year-old man. Old rich. Oh, no, I'm not sure people live that long then, okay, do they? Okay, 55-year-old Old for them. Also, maybe he won't be all... Because he won't be able to even get it up. <laughs> That's very possible. So fine, maybe regardless, not she, it's thing. not a thing that you can understand why she's upset. But really, she's got the willies about the willies. Yes, she just doesn't understand how that works. Right. And then you've got Claire sitting right next to her, being respectful and trying not to laugh, but also knowing <laughs> you have no idea, like. And then to hear Mary say, but your husband is so kind and he would never. Bitch, yes, he would. Even though he's a Scot. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's a great scene. And it's a great piece of character development for her. And um, and the, that woman who plays Louise. Jeez Louise. What is her name again? Because she's very funny. Uh, she is, she's the shit. Her name is... I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Claire Sermon. Claire Sermon. Oh my God, she's a year younger than I am. Gross. <laughs> oh, oh, I laughed so loud. It was too loud in the mic. We're at that age now, right? Where oh it's my like, God. Like, <laughs> like suddenly. There were people this week, R.I.P. Prince Rogers Nelson. There were people this week who didn't know who he was. Oh, and I was fine. just like, okay, fine. 
skip. Swipe Dig, left. if you will, the picture. Swipe left. <laughs> I got it. I don't have time One of the you. greatest musicians of our time. So here's what happened in that scene, though. Not only did we get treated to this great character development of this young, virginal British girl, but she also said, that's not how men are where I'm from in Seaford. Seaford. And that's when Claire goes, Claire goes, we didn't plan that, by the way. That just happened. <laughs> and she totally has this memory from season one when she and Frank first go to Scotland and they're looking through the genealogy books and she realizes that Mary Hawkins is like Frank's great, 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 whatever, great sub fucking a grandmother. She's in Frank's family tree. She's yeah. at the top of Frank's family tree. Apparently, there's some sort of major disaster in Chicago right now. No, there's not. I shouldn't say it that way, that people are going to listen to this. There have been several fire trucks that have gone by, it's, which probably means there's a cat in a tree. It's a very nice day. It's a beautiful day. Yeah. So. <laughs> we, live, we live on the best street for this, by yeah. the way. This will <laughs> no. be a common theme for this podcast. My street, my street <laughs> might be worse. I live on Pratt. So, like, oh, the yeah. Clark fire trucks go past. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so we find out Mary... Totally Frank's great 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 grandmother. So what's gonna happen if Mary doesn't have sex with a Randall? That means no Frank. That means no Frank. Which Claire's already got some dick rot guilt about choosing to not go back, right? Because she could have. Remember that episode? I think it's the mid-season finale where she escapes from the guys when they're out on their like. It's like I'm gonna get you out of this witch burning. Peace, we're out. I'm gonna bring you to the dick rocks. And then I'm going to let you go, says Jamie. And then she doesn't and says, take me home to Lallybrock. And it's wonderful. You know what take me home to Lallybrock means? <laughs> oh, that's my new favorite euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> it, was my, it was my significant other's birthday yesterday. I'm so sorry, Frank. Not significant other. That's somebody else. But <laughs> I'm really sorry, Frank, that nobody is on Team Frank. Oh, I'm sort of, a, I mean, I'm on Team Frank generally. Oh. I'm, I'm not on Team Frank and Claire. No. I'm on Team Frank, though. Tobias Munzes Mus, is a good-looking man. <laughs> He's a really good actor. He's very good. And I like Frank. All right. Frank was like, yeah, I'll take your baby. But he was... <sighs> nah, I'm Team Frank. Oh. Anyway. So we figured out so that there is Claire's... a possibility that if this shit doesn't go down, there's no Frank. And then we understand also that means no Claire and Jamie. Potentially, right? Like if there's no Frank, it's possible that the lack of Frank would mean the lack of Claire going to the Dick Rocks, which would mean a lack of Claire going back in time, which would mean everything that had happened had been erased. So this the parallel of time travel stories, right? So does this mean... And because I haven't read the books, I'm going to ask you. You don't have to answer me if you feel that it's too plot forward or whatever. Okay. Does this mean that Claire has a vested interest in making sure that Mary Hawkins has sex with a Randall? I think that Claire has a vested interest, and this is my opinion as I was reading it, like not giving away what happens. I think Claire has a vested interest in Frank being born. Okay. For reasons that I mean, certainly have to do with her life existing as it does, but also because he, she loves him. She doesn't love him like she loves Jamie, but she loves him, but she and never, she doesn't want him to not She be never would have met Jamie if Frank didn't exist. Sure, but I think that Claire um, is a 
deeply empathetic person mm-hmm. who already feels guilty about the fact that Frank thinks he, she either died or left him for another man mm-hmm. and has like torpedoed his life, mm-hmm. right? By choosing not to go back, she's already torpedoed his life. So she's not going to, she w- would feel very bad about erasing him from the planet. Um, so I don't know that Claire has such a vested interest that she would ever be like, well, by the way, have you met Blackjack Randall? Have you met and Jack not Randall? just because, the right here, woman who is afraid of penises, 16 year old who doesn't know how sex works. Why don't you just meet this asshole? Right. Anyway, as you can probably guess, that's a, a and a complicated situation, a fraught situation, which Ugh. leads into the other big thing, which is that Claire, of course, wants Frank to still exist, but she also uh, doesn't want Jamie to know for reasons that have nothing to do with Frank, mostly that Jamie would have a total meltdown, just a total goddamn meltdown. Well, he, it, once again, I go back to when I was talking about the makeup and shit. He's not sleeping. It's horrible. He's bes- just beset by these dreams and nightmares of blackjack so but so he's thrown himself into all this stuff about the jacobite rebellion try to stop it he's crazy like you can see him not being normal in this episode he's wan he's like away his brain is somewhere else his hair is a slightly less vibrant shade it's of red not quite as fucking <laughs> lustrous and he's also not you know doing it He's not, but I think that has more to do with his PTSD. It's true. It's true. Than but the that's lack all. Of sleep. Ra- it's all wrapped together. Oh, though. totally. Yeah. So then we get to, we're moving forward with Jamie's plot, right? So he gets to go play chess, Monsieur Duvernay. Oh, he's great. That actor is really great. Uh, let's not forget though that he tried to make out with Claire's foot. Flashman. Ugh. He is flash. Anyway. They're playing chess, and then I'm like, wait a minute. Jamie's a chess master, too. Jamie's good at everything. How is he good at everything? And then Allison said, there are a few things he's not good at. We've already seen that he cannot ride a boat, so he is a weak seaman. He, he <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he's not a particularly fertile seaman. He's not, he's not a great seaman. <laughs> and then also... <laughs> He can't sing. Yeah, I he, haven't seen that yet. But. He, I'm not sure. Who knows if that'll if there'll ever be a reason for that to come up on the show. But in the books, Jamie is tone deaf. He got, and I think the backstory is that he got bashed on the head in a, a fight, which I won't go into details about. It doesn't happen in the books, but you hear some backstory about it. Um, and that resulted in him just not hearing music anymore, like he did when he was a kid. Probably still wasn't a great singer, but something he gets his bell rung and just can't really. Just can't go for it. Yeah. All right. So um, the two things Duvernay he can't do. Duvernay is Marc Duré. He's great. Was born on September 28, 1957 in Nice, France. You know what happened to me in Nice, France? I had my backpack stolen. Nice, France. Not good. Not also, very nice. You know what? <laughs> Dog shit everywhere. Oh. Moving on. Okay. That's just that's just France. That's in general. basically maybe just France, but Nice yeah. in particular, like it's like you cannot look up. You have to keep your eyes. Anyway, also I would like to point out that Monsieur Duvernay either got his wig fixed or has a wide range of wigs that look exactly the same. I'm sure he has like 20 of those wigs. Because it was it's the same like it's that wig that turned into like a Davy Crockett hat after it went in the water, <laughs> you know. Or he has a Suzanne or whatever at his house Suzette. that styles that styles <laughs> when she's not stepping. Murtaugh. Which is not 
taking it from Murtaugh. Okay, so they're playing chess. It's very clear that they've been there playing for a while and that Jamie has beat him every single time. He has never once let this guy win. And he says, uh, I, I respect you too much to give you such an unsatisfactory victory. <laughs> and he says, I wrote it down because I liked it so much, I give you permission to respect me less. <laughs> He just so wants heavy. to win a chess game. That actor, I think he's just he's great. He's very good. So he's he's like, all right, well, how do I meet with Bonnie Prince Charlie? And Jamie's like, well. Oh, no. Charlie, Bonnie Prince Charlie wants to meet with him. Right. He does not want to meet but with he's Bonnie like, Prince Charlie. Let's go to the whorehouse. Jamie's yeah. like, oh, please come with me. Please tell this guy it's a bad investment, right? Please just tell him that France isn't interested in this. There's Scott, Scotland doesn't want to have anything to do with this. Mm-hmm. Please come and protect France from being drawn into this. Let's go to the fucking whorehouse. And then I think my favorite moment of the entire episode is when the French guy goes, Oh, Madame, blah, 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 blah. I haven't been there in months. <laughs> oh, those lascivious Frenchmen. It was, it was so awesome because obviously you know he's fucking around on his wife, but he never wants his wife to know anything, and he's really scared about it. But obviously he was probably there yesterday. I haven't been there in months, months. hours. He meant hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's then, a good little chess game, though. It was good, and we also learned that Jamie is a, a chess master. Thanks. So now we move on, and we're going to have to, like, speed through a little bit. Claire decides she needs to go see Monsieur Raymond because her lady-in-waiting is stooping Merton. She doesn't want Suzette to get preggers. So she's going to go see. Uh, she also wears a really fabulous cape. But, like, how do you wear that color? <sighs> oh, I just, I'm about capes. I would like to encourage the woman, women of America to please try to make capes happen because I just would really like capes to come back. I feel that way about, like, like calf-high boots for men. Yeah. That, dudes, please bring back Just do boots. it. Everyone, if you could please just bring back some of these passions. That would be- <laughs> Uh, our Roz told us to try to whisper today, so I was making sure to check that out. Please. I can't wait to hear what that says. <laughs> so she shows up at Monsieur Raymond in her amazing mustard To get contraception coat. for Suzette. And it's great, but guess who's there? Bum, bum, bum. The Comte Saint-Germain. Asshole. Wearing the most beautiful waistcoat Woo-hoo! and the best wig we've seen. Oh, he's great. His wig's even better than Louis's. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, Claire's pissed. She's trying to find something to do. Monsieur Raymond and her have a little tete-a-tete <laughs> about talking to your enemies. and Oh, whatnot. and about poison, bitter mm-hmm. cascara, about yeah. how he pretends to sell monkshood, which is a term I only know because of Harry Potter, and then um, instead sells them bitter cascara, which may, which has an immediate effect and makes people void their bowels everywhere, and then they don't die. So the person who's trying to poison them thinks, oh, successfully poisoned, and God intervened. And then... Um, <laughs> also, Dominique Pignon. Dominique Pignon. Dominique Pignon. Um, so I want to direct everybody to Terry Dressback's website, which, in case you don't know the way her name is spelled, it's T-E-R-R-Y-D-R-E-S-B-A-C-H, like... Johann Sebastian Bach, um, oh which we'll get God, to later. So much. Oh, 
There's a great article. It's currently the first article on her site about uh, Raymond's costume. And it starts with her mood boards and stuff. And it's just beautiful. And it's a coat. I assumed it was a vest because the sleeves are a different color. But it's just gorgeous. I'm going to hand my phone to Julie so that she can look at these mood boards because it's just, it's amazing. And hand embroidered and the back is painted. And it's just like, it's great. It's a great glimpse at a really amazing costume and process. It's amazing because it's like a, <laughs> he knows that people want him to be like a wizard. Mm-hmm. So, but he understands that he actually is a man of science, but he understands that what's going to sell what he's moving is if he's got a little bit of mysticism. So he's got all this like third eye symbolism and hands and weird trees and stuff. Anyway, it's, really savvy and obviously just goes to show you how smart this guy is well and how smart terry dressback is Mm -hmm. it's a a beautiful costume anyway um he claire starts talking again about how dissatisfied she is and he suggests that she goes to volunteer at l'hôpital des anges the hospital for the poor i I don't know if it translates to that but that's what it is the hospital for the poor Mm -hmm. um and she gets all a little glimmer in her eye she gets really excited about helping people right uh, bitch. Because what else is she excited about right now? Mm. Not much. <laughs> I mean, probably her clothes. Mm. I would be. Well, as you said earlier, that's the only way she's getting boned. <laughs> it's for corsets. It's the only boning <laughs> she's getting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, she um, she sort of like spirits out of there with, with some new excitement. Um, but before we get to Claire going to L'Hôpital... We, we go have, back to the whorehouse. Yeah, and we we see Monsieur Duvenet with uh, Jamie and and Bonnie Prince Charlie. And just generally, if you want to find us on Twitter, please do. Uh, Podlandercast, at Podlandercast. Um, I'm curious as to what other people, and, and Aaron and Julie, if you have thoughts, who else is the worst? And not in like a villain way, not in like a Joffrey on Game of Thrones way, but like a TV character like Charles, who's not actually doing anything all that awful, but is just the worst. Like Dwight Schrute is the worst, right? <laughs> Randall on Recess. Oh, Do you I've remember that Recess. the cartoon? Randall. He was the kid that whenever TJ, who was the lead, would say tender, was like his awesome, mm-hmm. tender, Randall would go. <laughs> That's bad. Randall. Aaron, anybody? Uh, I'm so bad with character names, but I'm, I'm watching Deadwood right now. Mm. And there's a, there's a guy who was like the sheriff for a half a second. And whenever he shows up, I'm just like, I don't want to. You're just the worst, man. You're just a pain in the ass. <laughs> who just... Which is a great compliment <laughs> to the actors, I yeah, think, right? great job. Yeah. Mine is, there's this tiny, tiny character on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I think her name is Karen. But she has a Kickstarter for her snake who's dying of terminal cancer. And she, um, she does video reviews about diva cups mm-hmm. and, like, overshares about her tampons and stuff. She's the worst. <laughs> She's the worst. Like that. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, like, in, a, in ways that don't really apply to what's going on in Game of Thrones currently. Not currently. I haven't seen the premiere of this season, but last season. Um, Theon Greyjoy is also kind of the worst. Um... Yeah, anyway, if you have people who are the worst, if you can think of anyone who is Bonnie Prince Charlie level of the worst, let us know. Cause Man, it'll be rough because that guy is he's the, the worst. actual worst. God, God intent. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Also, at one point, Monsieur Devenet says, Evidence, and it made me laugh really hard. <laughs> <laughs> so it's DeVernay, Jamie, and Bonnie Prince Charlie at the whorehouse. We open with a whore on stage once again, a little show for the dudes. She's got a little China doll mask over what we soon find out is the back of her head because she's got drawn-on breasts and a butt. So this is actually like that weird flippy, flippy shit. Well, I think they were trying to make her butt look like her vag, and then she turns around, and they tried to hide her boobs, and they made the front of her body look like a butt. But then she also, that's her face. That, so it's by the like, way, is not in the books. Trump de l'ole, Trump de l'ole. What is that? Trump de l'ole, Trump de Trump de Just stop saying Trump. He gets enough airtime. Trump de <laughs> Which is a food thing, which means it looks like one thing, but it's something else. Oh, ho, ho. So they have this that. whole meeting, and, and Charles... Uh, basically drops a giant bomb, which is that he already has what he claims, and Jamie later says that he assumes that's an exaggeration, but the majority of the money he needs to invade England, something he has not said before that. So uh, when he drops this bomb, Jamie's surprised, Duvernay is surprised, and then Duvernay uh, gets a further surprise, gets more distracted from the boobs because he's very interested in the boobs. He is totally about the boobs. And then Charles yanks his attention back. He hasn't been there in months. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Charles yanks his attention back, first by talking about the money and then saying that he would offer an alliance with France, which to us modern-day persons doesn't sound all that crazy except for as claire points out in the episode that's a century before england and france would be allies century before they were buds as opposed to fucking fighting each other all the right time. so an an alliance with england would be a huge deal mm-hmm. um which makes it a very big incentive so basically so all of a sudden duvernay is like who's this crazy scotsman what the fuck was he trying to talk to me about oh, look, this guy's going to get me in with England. And then it's all fucked up. And now Jamie's even more fucked up, and he's still not sleeping, and he's still not boning his wife, and it's horrible. And he goes home to talk to his wife, and she's not there. That's right. He's really mad about her not being there, and he is mad about it because she is at the hospital helping poor people. (laughs) And then he's a real dick about it when she gets home, and they have kind of a fight. And then you see him back at the whorehouse, and all of a sudden, he realizes this tiny little pickpocket is running around. Oh, I want to talk about the fight. Let's go back. Let's get to Wee Fergus uh, in a yes, second. Yes, yes, So I, what I love about that fight is that they both have really good points. And yes, Jamie's being kind of a dick. But at the same time, like, oh, no, she has to stay at home all day and have nothing to do. Not what a good he point. has to do, No, but what he has to do is lie to someone and pretend to be his friend while trying to undermine him all day long, every day. And the, like, there are a lot of things you learn about Jamie in the first season, right? But the biggest thing is that he's an honorable person. Mm-hmm. He cares about people. He wants to be truthful. He wants to do the right thing. So you can understand why that would really weigh on him. So they get in this big fight because she was indulging herself by helping poor people while he was off lying to Charles Stewart. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a great scene. They both do a great job. But upsetting. And it's not even a big enough fight that they could have makeup sex. I was going to say, no makeup sex, though. Like, nothing. Just complete and utter frustration. And then the maid says, when the love leaves the bed, it must leave the marriage, or something like that. So this is when Murtaugh finds out. 
that Jamie and Claire aren't doing. Uh, Julie was very excited, thinking that Murta was going to give Jamie a pep talk, being like, could you get give it to there. your wife, please? <laughs> could you just fucking get in there? But he doesn't. No. So Hopefully. that happens. They fight. Ugh, fucking also, Jamie. he doesn't want to hear about the scrofula. If you've never Googled scrofula. Please don't. It's disgusting. So <laughs> Jamie and Claire fight, but then Jamie has to go back to the goddamn whorehouse to meet with all these big political wigs. For the prostitution home shopping network, oh, which is the note I made. Dildos. Where there are constant ads about prostitution. And he sees this little dude pickpocketing, and then he realizes, oh, that snake that I was missing. Do you think it was about the snake, or do you think it was like, oh, no, he could pickpocket Bonnie, Prince Charlie, and get letters? I think it was the letters, but I think he might have figured out the snake, too. Maybe I mean, something. he certainly finds the snake. So we find out he shakes down little dude. Little dude has obviously been stealing Fergus, for a while. whose name is Claudel, and then becomes Fergus. Becomes Fergus, because Claudel is too womanly. Problematic. Anyway, Patty. So, Fergus <laughs> is now on the payroll. He's a little dude. He's obviously well-skilled in the arts of pickpocketry. Funny and smart. And cute. And great hair. He does have really good hair. And so now he's got to pickpocket all the letters so that Jamie can copy them all and then send them back, like give them back to Fergus so he can slip them back into the dude's things all unaware so that he's finding shit out. So there, also here, here's where we find out that Jamie is also a master code breaker. <laughs> Well, Jamie's very smart. We've known he's very smart all the time. It's just really funny that somebody so smoking hot is so (laughs) incredibly intelligent. Well, he's a farmer. Uh, I mean, and farmer (laughs) also, think think about that, though. He's a farmer. Well, I'm saying that's where his back muscles come from. I'm just saying. Bales of hay. I'm just saying. Oh, there's another emergency. Mm. Um, so he breaks a code. He breaks all these codes, and then but there's one thing he can't break because somebody sent some shit with some music on it. And here's one thing we didn't talk about. So Claire's working at this hospital for the poor. Oh, Bouton. And there is this incredible nun who is played by Francis, Francis de, la Tour. de la Tour, who is an amazing French actress. And most people, most Americans who are even remotely nerdy, will know her as Madame Maxime from the Harry Potter movies. Um, but she's wonderful. She's here done you, a bunch of shit. She's great. Here you don't really see that because she's very nunny. Yeah, super nunny. And um, she comes and she's so excited to tell Jamie about her time with Madame de la Tour. And she mentions something about Hildegard. her being a, Sorry. Mother Madame, Hildegard. <laughs> Mother Hildegard. <laughs> actress, character. Yeah. About her being a musical prodigy. And then all of a sudden Jamie's like, oh my God, so there's a code in this music. I think I know something. So here we're going to marry this to my wife and what's going on with her. I mean, it's Myrta's idea, but yeah. But Jamie's the one that figures out the nun. Mm-mm. Myrta's the one who figures out the nun. How? When did he say that? He says, I have an idea of someone who could help us, but you're not going to like it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Myrta. Pamplemousse. Pamplemousse. How could I ever doubt you? So they go to the, to the hospital and they show her this music. And she fucking throws it up on her compu- uh, computer. <laughs> computer. On her fucking harpsichord. Harpsichord <laughs> piano forte. And starts to play, and she's like, this is kind of clumsy, and it reminds me something from my friend Bach. And, and <laughs> Claire's like, Johann Sebastian Bach. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm surprised you know him. His music won't last. His music won't last. It's very clever. clever. It's It's very clever, clever, but it won't. It's not the type to last. There's no soul. And Claire doesn't go. (laughs) And then then she just turns around and goes up onto the shelf where she has 
all this original sheet music from Bach. From Bach, yeah. And is like, oh, it looks like this one. And she pulls it down and she's like, see how this one is more elegant and like all in the same chord and this one switches keys seven every times. Every line. Right? It switches a key every line. So and they figure Jamie that that's a code. Go, key. Huh. Mm. Key. I wonder if so the key is a key. Or a code key code. Key. Key. So they figure that shit out. And they find out that the, the money, the money that Charles was saying that he had that he used to persuade Duvernay is real. But not extra real. It's more faked, but they knew that it would be exaggerated, right? And then they think it's also from the Duke of Sandringham. Oh, that douche. I love that character. He's he's such a great actor, but God, he's playing both sides in his Oh, sure. I mean, he's a politician, right? Right? All right, so we're back at the beginning because now we know that if they have to deal with him, Jamie's going to find out that Blackjack's still it alive. It makes for a really great scene because Jamie gets all excited because they finally had a development and he rushed out of the room and Sam Hewen I think is really great in that scene. And he leaves and Claire and Myrtle are both excited and then they're, both of their faces fall. They're like, oh, shit. And they have this nice little moment where they say like no well well Murta says you're just gonna have to tell him like right now because we have that meeting then he's gonna find out and the longer you wait the worse it's gonna be and she's obviously intending to and then he just looks so happy for the first been, time he's in been three so episodes. miserable that she just can't bring herself to do it it's really awful like mm-hmm. it was really of all the of all the episode scenes in the episode because again this is mostly a place setting episode which means it's mostly about the Frasers being unhappy you know we're setting up the conflict in their marriage and presumably the eventual resolution so it's like unhappiness and happiness and happiness and happiness and then he's happy and his happiness is at this cost of knowing that eventually it's going to come out I just thought it was really like well acted, well written, mm-hmm. and the makeup once again, the makeup on Sam Huon was—he just looks really fucking haunted. really good. So going to our scales, mm-hmm. um, on a scale of, let's see, um, Mike and Molly <laughs> to Priscilla Queen of the Desert, where do the costumes in this episode fall? I've got to go Tu Wong Fu. Tu Wong Fu. Tu Wong Fu. Yeah, there were great costumes. That yellow cape was great. We're going to get a little bit of drag in this episode, not only from the amazing cape, we also get to see, uh, she also has another really great dress that is also very muted, like gray and mustard tones. Oh, her awesome hospital outfit. The hospital outfit with the thing. And then also uh, we see Raymond again, and we also see the The asshole. Which is a great waistcoat and a great wig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, on a scale of dead men walking to (laughs) Game of Thrones, because it's coming back, where are we on the sex scale? Ugh. Dead Man Walking. Really close to Dead Man Walking. I mean, I'm gonna there's give it more like a, sexual tension. Green Mile. Green Mile, that's where I was... Yeah, green Mile. The way you described this, I was like, Green Mile. A little yeah. bit less than <laughs> Dead Man Walking, but still jail time. Yeah. Everybody's in jail. 
Well, no, I mean Myrtle boned. So is it like Shawshank? Is it like yes. because we've yes. got the poster of Rita Hayworth on yes. the wall? It's Shawshank. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. So it's Shawshank. Agreed. And then um, on the how many drinks do you need to get through it scale of grippingness? No, you you could probably. Put Did this we skip episode. Bouton? Did we talk about Bouton? Uh, no, but we'll come back to Bouton in just a second. I think that you could probably take a couple of pauses in this episode. You could probably have two beers in front of you. Pause when you were done, and then go get another beer without like yeah. freaking out. Yeah, which and it, I still think it was a really good episode. It was a good episode, but it was not as like the last two dynamic as one and two. It's not like you can't get up to pee. We're too we're too late into the episode, but just let's just say this real as, quick. But let's put a pin in it. Bouton. Bouton. <laughs> oh, it's just, that I will tell you, and I told Julie this earlier, is straight from the books. Mother Hildegard has a dog that diagnoses diseases. She, the nun who runs the charity hospital, Janine. Yeah. Uh, you're listening. Yeah, yeah. She has a little terrier that diagnoses disease. He, he jumps up. She goes, Bouton, smell his mouth, Bouton. And he smells the mouth. And he's like, nope, 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 not a liver infection. And then he goes and he smells like a little wound on his leg. And he's like, right here, right here, ruff, ruff. And, uh, and sure enough, there's a giant splinter in the dude's leg. And they wh- rip it out with some tweezers, and then he's going to live. So Bouton, the diagnosing dog, what? that is straight from the book. Does Bouton last? Are we going to see Bouton some more? I mean, it depends how much time we spend at the hospital. I don't know how uh, often I, we'll go back. And any time that, that je Claire... Je suis Bouton. I am Bouton? I just... I am Bouton. Je t'aime Bouton, is what you mean. Je t'aime. Je t'aime Bouton. Oui, moi aussi. Si. Je t'aime Bouton. I need to see more of that dog. Um, he, well, also, great dog casting. Cheers yeah. to the animal casting. Yep. Uh, some really good animal casting. But it, that's also straight from the book. If Diana Gabaldon, I will say this for book readers real quick. Because um, at this point, we're way long. You don't even need to write it down, Janine. I know that we're later than we should have been. Anyway, um, I will say, book readers, if you're current in the books, don't worry about the novellas. They're, I mean, they're really great, but they don't spoil the plot. If you're current in the books, follow Diana Gabaldon on Facebook because she, as she writes things, puts unedited excerpts online. And sometimes they're like two paragraphs, and sometimes it's a, a huge chunk of the next book. Uh, which makes it really great. But she also posts photos from the set and her thoughts about the show. And it's really, she, I mean, she's great if you follow the books. If you do not follow the books, absolutely do not follow her on Facebook because all kinds of stuff will get ru- ruined for you. I'm, I'm glad I've never read the books. Uh, not because I don't wish that I had read the books, but also because I'm getting to experience this show completely blind. And it's been great. Like, I thought it was going to be a soap opera, and it's not. Oh, it's, I mean, it's soapy, but it's well, not a yeah, soap opera. Well, yeah, but it's so much better. It's so much deeper. I mean, right now, the primary plot point is dealing with the fallout of a rape. Right. And the actors are so, They're like, so everything good. about it is so good. Look, listen, I don't go for this trickly shit. Just watch it. Just fucking watch it. I mean, anybody it. who's listening to it is watching it. Right. Or just tell your tell friends. Tell your friends. Tell just your asshole friends to watch this show because it's really good. So, follow us on Twitter. At PodlanderCast. Uh, Julie still doesn't have a Twitter account. Never will. But you can follow us together at PodlanderCast. I'm at Allison Chu. Um, tell us what you thought. Comment on this site. It's linked in the iTunes thing. If you're subscribing on iTunes, we're on iTunes now. Say hi to Janine. Hi. 
There's Janine. Janine's the best. She's the best. She's um, my favorite Roz. Oh, and I forgot to say, uh, this week's episode brought to you unofficially because we pay for the booze by Seattle Ciders Semi-Sweet Hard Cider and Raging Bitch uh, Belgian-style IPA from Flying Dog. So, yeah. Which explains a lot. <laughs> anyway, do you have anything else to say, Julie? Mm-mm. Okay. Thanks for listening, um, especially if you don't watch the show. Just listening to us talk about something you don't know what it's about. Thanks a lot. Uh, Unless you're a fucking pervert. <laughs> that seems like a decent note to end on. I don't know what that means. But we'll see you. We'll uh, see you, hear you. You'll hear us, whatever. Next week. We'll be back next week with the newest episode, um, which is called, uh, I think it's called Le Dame Blanche. And if so, book readers will know that makes it a very big episode. Anyway, it's either called The White Lady or La Dame Blanche. I can't remember if it was in French or English, but that means that next week is a very big episode. So Excellent. All right. Thank so, you. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.